Welcome to a special episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Timonini. As promised by James Marino last week, I am joined by the one and only, the myth, the man, the legend, the icon of theater Twitter, Alan Henry. Alan, welcome to your Broadway Radio debut, I believe. I'm going to have you introduce me every single time I go anywhere from now on going forward. I, I've been in public with you, and you need no introduction. You are a, a legend in that small area of Midtown Manhattan where theater goers are. You are well known. You need no introduction. I mean, you can't see me, but I'm blushing right now. So <laughs> I say we should just jump right into it. Yeah, normally when I say things like that, you get mad at me, but uh, that's fine. Um, as most listeners know, I often talk about Alan in terms of not only are we co-workers over at Broadway World, uh, when I go to New York, we regularly see shows and concerts together, but he is also the foremost expert that I know personally in terms of things like Cats, Head Over Heels, The Prom. Some of those shows will be discussed here today because what we are doing on Sunday, James Marino, Peter Felicia, and Michael Portanti are going to have their year-end episode of This Week on Broadway where they talk about the best theater that they saw in 2018. Since Alan and I were not invited to be a part of that broadcast, we decided that we were going to do our own version of that show here, and that is this special episode. Now, Alan, you and I are not of the same generation, so to speak, but we are both of different generations from James, Michael, and Peter. So I think we bring a slightly different perspective to theater than maybe they will, even though all five of us are white men, but I guess you work with what you're given. But um, so I think we're going to have some, some different things. You and I have exchanged a few notes, and I don't know that we have any overlap on our lists at all unless some things have changed so this should be a lot of fun what we're going to do i'm going to borrow the format that i used to do over on some like it pop with jennifer McHugh. we're going to count down alan our top 10 favorite shows of 2018 you'll start going 10 through 6 just talk about those briefly i'll do my 10 through 6 then we'll alternate 5 down to 1 does that make sense to you absolutely all right so alan why don't you kick us off why don't you tell me what your 10th, 9th, 8th, 7th, and 6th favorite shows of 2018 were. All right. Now, I will preface that these are the shows that I've decided to talk about today. Uh, they may not necessarily be exactly how they rank in my brain uh, in terms of favorites, but I have a hard time putting things ranked in terms of numbers because I, I really love everything. Uh, so in terms of how I'm going to talk about them here, uh, it was just the order I felt made the most sense. But really, uh, these were all shows that I loved uh, for different reasons, and they don't necessarily have sort of a top ranking, uh, yeah, except and, except maybe the top three. Yeah, and it's important to keep in mind, we're not saying what is the best dramatically, what was the best writing, what was the best direction. We are talking about the things that we personally enjoyed the most. Spoiler alert, The Prom was the best writing, direction, and music of the okay. year. But, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Spoiler alert. Um, my number 10 show is Beetlejuice, which I had the great pleasure of seeing out of town. Uh, of course, it stars Alex Brightman, Harry Butler, Rob McClure, uh, with Sophia Ann Caruso, and the hilarious Leslie Kritzer, who had not a single line that didn't get a giant laugh from me or Natalie Walker, but usually both of us uh, could be heard laughing. I, I love me some Natalie Walker. 
we we both just sort of lost it every time she opened her mouth, and for good reason. Uh, she has the funniest one-liners you ever written for the stage. Really, it's a charming piece. It's hilarious. Alex Brightman is giving a performance that really cannot even be described. It's almost superhuman. And sort of the stuff they have him doing really is superhuman, which is why between his two shows that day that we were there, he was going for physio. Uh, And so that was my 10th favorite. And I'm really excited to see what they do to it uh, before it comes to Broadway this season. Uh, So next, my ninth favorite uh, was The Share Show, which I saw just a couple weeks ago with Stephanie J. Block, Teal Wicks, and of course, Michaela Diamond. Um, again, super fun, uh, high energy. Uh, Stephanie is really serving that share realness, uh, where you almost forget that that's Stephanie J. Block after a while. Uh, a little weird when the shares would sort of give each other pep talks, but that totally works sort of in the context of the show. I guess in that, in that world of share, it totally makes sense. Uh, and I had a great time, uh, which is all that really matters. Uh, and then number eight will be Be More Chill, also coming to Broadway this season. Uh, I had the great pleasure of seeing it during its off-Broadway extension because I was too foolish to get tickets for its original scheduled run. Uh, and I'm so glad that I saw it. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I, I'm not a planner. Matt makes spreadsheets before he comes to the city. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a last-minute gal. Uh, I just... I just see things when when the mood strikes me. And I'm so glad that the mood did strike me for Be More Chill. It's really such a fun show. Uh, something for the whole family, uh, especially the youth, will enjoy Be More Chill. Uh, will Roland is fantastic. And it's really nice to see him sort of go into that leading man territory. And I'm really excited to see what they add to it or how it's adapted for a bigger house uh, on Broadway. My seventh favorite performance of the year uh, was actually the Wicked 15th anniversary, not the NBC TV special, but the actual 15th anniversary performance on October 30th, of course, which was led by Jessica Vosk and Amanda Jane Cooper. It was my second time seeing Jess uh, do Alphaba on Broadway. Uh, of course, much of the country has now seen her following her stint on tour. Uh, and Amanda's been there, had been there forever. Now Katie Rose Clark is Glinda, but Uh, Amanda is just one of those Glindas that are so fun to watch, very Kristen Chenoweth-like. They were such a great pairing. And of course, they had actually started up together. Well, Jessica had started with Amanda on tour. And so it was really nice to see that all come together uh, in sort of like a teary, uh, sobby mess on the 15th anniversary. And it was really just an incredible show. And Wicked is such a great show. And it just holds up 15 years later. Uh, If you're coming to New York and you want to see a great show, Absolutely still recommend Wicked a thousand percent. My next favorite, which is number six, was Ordinary Days at the Keen Company, uh, featuring Whitney Basher, Kyle Sherman, Sarah Lynn Marion, and Mark De La Cruz. Uh, of course, Matt, I think you and I both agree that Whitney is one of our favorite performers the mutually. Best. Also, Kyle Sherman gave uh, a really uh, touching performance uh, that I really, I was moved to tears. I think you were also tearing up beside me at one point. It was really just sort of one of those perfect nights uh, of incredible performances uh, with, of course, an incredible score uh, in an intimate space. And it was absolutely one of my favorite things I saw this year. Uh, And I think that's where I have to pause, right? Now it's your turn. Yes, that is where you're going to pause. And I will say, uh, I did too love Ordinary Days, I actually spoke with Whitney Basher here on, on Broadway Radio. You and I saw the show together. It is not in my top 10. 
just because I saw a lot of really great things. But it would be it would be in the 11 to 15 range for me because it was a uh, really fantastic and I love that show. And Whitney Basher is one of my favorites, which everybody who listens knows. So I won't belabor that point. But diving into my 10 through six, I'm going to start off with a show that I've mentioned before on various Broadway radio things. And that is Sexy Oklahoma, the Daniel Fish-directed version that is now coming to Broadway that I saw at St. Anne's Warehouse. I I won't repeat what I've said on today on Broadway too, too much, but the crux of the argument that I have is is that 85% of this production is one of not only the best productions of Oklahoma that I've ever seen, but one of the best productions of anything that I've ever seen. Unfortunately, the other 15% leaves a lot to be desired. About 7.5% of that is just directorial choices that leave me very confused. Um, and I'm still, even to this day, a couple months later, unsure as to why Daniel Fish did these things, because I don't think they worked and I don't think they were supported by the script. And then the thing that really puts it off for me is the other 7.5%, which makes me violently and aggressively angry is not even the right word. It's... Uh, I'm maddened. I don't, I don't know. Very, very angry because Oklahoma is one of my top two or three favorite shows of all time and I just I don't like and I don't approve and I don't condone of some of the changes that were made for that show however that 85% is so good that I uh, I feel like it needed to come in right under the wire at my 10th spot and the next one number nine is uh, the recent Broadway revival of the Iceman Cometh starring Denzel Washington uh, directed by George C. Wolf. it also had such great Stars like Bill Irwin, Cole Meany, David Morse, Tammy Blanchard, um, uh, so many so many others. I feel like I've seen uh, Dakin Matthews three times on Broadway this past calendar year, which is true. Reg Rogers was amazing. Tony Winter, Frank Woods, so many fantastic folks in that show. I'd never seen Iceman before. And to have Denzel Washington walk down the house right aisle, literally three feet from me as he enters the show for the first time was really cool, too, because I wasn't expecting that. But a really fantastic performance and one that uh, will stick with me for a long time. The next one that I saw, I saw with uh, Broadway Radio and Broadway World colleague Julie Musback, and that was the off-Broadway-ish production of Cruel Intentions, the musical. You can laugh at me all you want for combining The Iceman Cometh and following it up with Cruel Intentions, the musical, but I love Cruel Intentions. I love Sarah Michelle Gellar, and to see this show on stage with Lauren Zachran, whom I also love, uh, was really fun. and 90s music from my heyday, so I really, really enjoyed that one. Next, uh, again, for something completely different, is going to the Classic Stage Company, where I saw Carmen Jones, directed by Tony winner John Doyle, starring Tony winner Anika Noni Rose. Uh, just one of the most affecting and impactful performances that I've ever seen on stage, and such a unique way to take this show, which is based... You know, it's an it's an opera that uh, Oscar Hammerstein II adapted. He used Bizet's music and, and modernized it and set it in the the South with an African American cast during World War II, and it it just worked so well in John Doyle's signature stripped back, small, intimate design, and I I loved it a, a ton. So I, I'm disappointed that that's not going to get a chance to come to Broadway as of now, even though it tried, but. Uh, We'll see what happens down the road. And finally, Alan, my sixth one, another show where I interviewed the stars. I interviewed both the stars and the creators uh, of of the other Josh Cohen, which is currently playing off-Broadway at the West Side Theater. It is absolutely a delightful show. I interviewed David Rossmer and Steve Rosen, 
but it also stars um, some other great Broadway names, Hannah Ellis, Kate Weatherhead, and more. It is one of the funniest shows you will see anywhere, but it's also really heartwarming and really fantastic and, and really, I don't know the right word. It, it, it's it's a it's a breath of fresh air that I think we probably need uh, towards the end of 2018, the beginning of 2019, because things are only going to get crazier and IRL, as they say, as we get closer and closer to more political things happening. But I really hope that the other, that the other Josh Cohen, which is currently on sale through February, extends and keeps having a, a life where a ton of other people can see it. So that's my 10 through six. So now, Alan, you and I are going to go back and forth on our fives through ones talk about them a little bit more maybe go back and forth if we've both seen them but why don't you go ahead and tell me what your number five is um my number five was uh laura benanti's uh first performance in my fair lady uh on broadway which was just one of those nights of theater that i think i'll remember absolutely forever uh bartlett share began the evening by coming on stage and letting us know that henry hadn't patent and laura benanti had only met for the first time and rehearsed together that afternoon as he had just returned from filming the downton abbey movie uh which i'm also excited about uh but that's a different conversation uh and so it was really just sort of one of those nights where anything could happen and what did happen was just every single aspect of that production coming together with the perfect casting and the perfect eliza and the perfect night. And um, it's like catching lightning in a bottle. You can't do that again and you can't describe it. But I was there and I'll remember it forever. Well, I will say I also saw Laura in uh, in the role, not as early as you did, but she really is phenomenal. And the fact that she is a replacement only speaks about how much she really loves that role because someone of her stature could have easily won a Tony for that performance, and I'm really glad she's getting a chance to do it. Now, my fifth show is is another off-Broadway musical, or potentially play with music. Uh, as I mentioned with some of these other shows, I got a chance to interview one of the stars, Mark Kudish, about Girl from the North Country, a show that I'm not sure if we're actually going to get to see in New York again this spring. I thought it was a foregone conclusion that it would be transferring to Broadway, but the silence uh, around its potential transfer confuses me a little bit because it's a show that didn't get fantastic reviews off Broadway, but it did get incredible reviews um, from London. And, and I, I thought it was wonderful. I I thought despite what Michael Riedel tried to say about it being a show that makes you, you know, super depressed and want to think about suicide, I found it incredibly hopeful. I thought that a show with a ton of people living through literally the Great Depression, who, despite all of the the sad, downtrodden lives that they're leading, continue to hope for more and to continue not to just hope, but to to seek a better life. Um, that was very uplifting to me. So I am definitely not a Bob Dylan type of dude, Alan. But these arrangements were marvelous. The cast was fantastic. And I really loved Girl from the North Country. I have no idea if it's going to end up on Broadway, whether it goes to the Lunt, as has been rumored, or somewhere else. But uh, I really hope it gets a chance, because I think that this is a show that, while it's probably never going to be a huge commercial success, I, I think it's a great show, and I think that it deserves to have a chance on Broadway. I did not have a chance to see it, but I really hope that it comes back, because uh, I feel like I missed it. And now uh, it is uh, announced to play Toronto next fall, Correct. but uh, we'll see uh, if we get to see it sooner than that or not. Yeah, there's there's a number of shows that have been announced to be playing 
other places that have canceled runs. Um, it was supposed to play Toronto this spring, and then it canceled that, pushed right. it back. So we'll see what happens with Girl from the North Country. Okay, Alan, what's your number four? Uh, my number four was New York City Center's uh, production of A Chorus Line, which, of course, assembled an all-star cast to present A Chorus Line Wednesday through Sunday at New York City Center earlier this winter. Uh, and it was really... Uh, I love a chorus line. I feel like everyone loves a chorus line, uh, especially a chorus line of that caliber. And really, you know, I don't think you're going to see another a chorus line like that anytime soon. Uh, This production had been rumored to be in the works for Broadway. Uh, Sadly, that's no longer coming in. Uh, It really had incredible standout performances uh, by Robin Herter as Cassie and Lazerman as Sheila uh, and Eddie Gutierrez as Paul. Uh, whose monologue just had me weeping and clutching Laura Haywood's arm uh, in the auditorium. Uh, shout out to Laura Haywood for watching me ugly cry for most of a chorus line. Uh, and you yeah. really are you really are name dropping some social media Broadway theater influencers tonight between Laura Haywood and Natalie Walker. You're just like I've got to walk behind you just to pick up the names that you're dropping. I have been honored to have wonderful theater companions in 2018, including my friend Matt Tamanini. <laughs> we'll uh, get back to that because we've got another one on my list that we saw together, but we'll get back to that. But I am nowhere near the stratosphere of Broadway Girl NYC or Natalie Walker, but it's, it's something that I in no way at all aspired to. <laughs> all right. So my number four is uh, one that I've talked about here on Broadway Radio a, a ton, so I don't want to get into this one uh, much more than I already have, but it is To Kill a Mockingbird currently playing at the Schubert Theater. It's been decades since I've read the book, and I don't even know if I've seen the movie all the way through, but there was something about the way that Aaron Sorkin chose to be truthful and loyal to the original text and the original film, but also putting a spin on it that it was decidedly 2018. That really moved me. Uh, Again, you talked about director Bartlett Shear. Bartlett Shear directed uh, To Kill a Mockingbird as well. And it has, as Jeff Daniels is obviously one of the best actors that we have on stage or screen, but really the performance to me uh, that defined this show was in Celia Keenan-Bolger's Scout. She is phenomenal, but she is far from the only one. Gideon Glick, as well as Will Pullen, uh, Latanya Richardson-Jackson, Gabinga Akingbi uh, as Tom Robinson. It just from top to bottom, Stark Sands uh, is a unbelievable asshole in here, but only to be out assholed by um, uh, by Frederick Weller as Bob Yule. Uh, Aaron Wilhelmy is as his daughter Mayella is heartbreaking. So I, I loved it. I thought the way they approached this classic was fantastic. And I have a feeling this thing's going to be running for a long time over at the Schubert. So I'm very happy about that one. All right, Alan, let's get to your number three. What you got? My number three is uh, Torch Song at the Hayes. I missed it when it was off Broadway, but very fortunately, uh, this production got picked up at the Hayes. Uh, and I'm so glad that it did. And mostly for Michael Yuri, whom I'm convinced is one of our greatest living actors, uh, one of our most underrated actors. Uh, of course, uh, people listening might know him uh, from Ugly Betty or the play that he did about the Mall and Barber's basement. Uh, but really, I think that he just encompasses everything about Torch Song and about that character. And it's so interesting knowing, uh, you know, the history of that play. And of course, it's a part that Harvey Firestein wrote and created. And then to watch Michael Urie do it and just disappear into that part. Uh, and of course, the play itself has been modified slightly 
from sort of three what from its th- you know three act structure into a slightly shorter two acts, which I thought was just brilliantly done and also somehow so uh, much a time capsule and yet very 2018, uh, which sort of shows us how far we've gone and yet how much further there is to go in terms of the issues addressed in the play. All right, so my number three, again, I'm tooting my own horn here, and I'll put all of these in the show notes uh, if people are interested. But my number three is as much magic as it is theater, but very much a theatrical piece. And and that is In and of Itself by Derek Delgadio, whom I spoke with after I saw the show. This is one of those uh, shows that I don't know how to describe it. And when I interviewed Derek, he didn't know how to describe it either. But for those people who did see it, it was life-changing in a lot of ways. It was magical in not only the literal, but in the figurative sense of the word. And it is something that, even though I I still struggle to put into words the impact that this show has, something that I will never forget the feeling of sitting in that theater and witnessing what I saw, not only on stage, but in the audience around me. So um, Derek said to me that this is he has no intention of ever bring, doing this show again. No one else is ever going to do it because it's his show. He wrote it and starred in it. Um, but he is very much excited about creating other things. So whatever it is that he ends up creating, I highly recommend it because what he did with director, the legendary director, Frank Oz, Neil Patrick Harris as executive producer, it was remarkable in every sense of the word. All right, Alan, what is your second? My second favorite musical of the year was Head Over Heels, which is a jukebox musical uh, featuring songs of the Go-Go's, starring Bonnie Milligan, Rachel York, Angie Durand, Peppermint, Alexandra Socha, and Taylor Iman Jones. Um, It's absolutely hilarious, as queer as it gets. Also the first musical to ever feature a trans actress creating a part on Broadway. Uh, It's super fun. It's playing now through through January 6th. You absolutely can't miss it. Um, And it's just one of those shows that's an absolute blast from the very first moment uh, all the way through Curtain Call. It also has the uh, first band on Broadway that's all women, which is just, you know, you know, in these times, something that is worth celebrating, I think, especially in a field that's uh, very heavily dominated by men. Uh, And so, yeah, if you can get to the Hudson Theater on Broadway before January 6th, I highly recommend Head Over Heels. Yeah, another show, you've seen it about, what, 107 times? Um, Uh, I've seen Head Over Heels nine times, and Closing Night will be my tenth. Okay, the only time that I've seen it, I saw it with you. Um, So I echo everything you said, it's great. So my number two show, Alan, was one that you also sat next to me at, and that was the Off-Broadway Tooting Arts Club production of Sweeney Todd. Um, we got there, not, we saw it, you'd seen it before, I believe, but, uh, I saw it fairly well into the run. None of the original cast was still there. Um, but I saw it, we, or we saw it with Tom Sesma as Sweeney Todd. We saw Sally Ann Triplett as Mrs. Lovett, uh, Billy Harrington Tiggy as, as Anthony, Stacey Bono as, as the beggar woman and Pirelli, uh, John Rapson, who I saw in Gentleman's Guide on Tour as the Beatle, Zachary Noah Pizer as Tobias, Michael James Leslie, who recently played Audrey II at the uh, Kennedy Center in Little Shop as Judge Turpin. And we actually saw an understudy on for Joanna, we saw Laura Darrell, just one of the most creative and interesting and perfectly 
produced and directed shows I've seen in a long time. Obviously, you'll notice the theme on my th- on my list. A lot of shows that are intimate, are small, are reinventions of things that we know super well. Um, that's the kind of theater that I really enjoy. And I thought this was as I mean, yes, we didn't see I didn't see the original cast. I didn't I didn't see Norm Lewis and Carolee Carmelo. But what I saw was about as perfect of a production of Sweeney Todd as I could ever imagine. I will say the only thing that could have made it more perfect that night uh, is if you had seen Carolee Carmelo. And not because sure. Sally Ann Triplett was not fantastic, but just um, we all aspire She's to Carolee be. Carolee Carmelo, yeah. We, we all aspire to be as perfect as Carolee Carmelo. And there is nothing like Car- Carolee Carmelo uh, walking up to you holding a knife very close to your face <laughs> uh, to instill sheer and utter horror uh, into your very soul. Yeah, no, I totally can see that. Carolee's one of the best, and I'm sorry that I didn't get to see it, but I'm super, super happy that I was able to to get to see that show before it closed in August because it was one that is undoubtedly uh, one of my favorite things that I've ever, ever seen. All right, Alan, that brings us to number one. I feel like you've already tipped your hand a bit here. Uh, I feel like I kind of already know. Uh, my number one show of the season is currently playing at the Longacre Theater. Uh, it is The Prom, uh, which stars Beth Level, Brooks Ashmanskis, Christopher Sieber, Caitlin Canoon, Angie Schwar, and Josh Lamont. Uh, it is about a Broadway actress whose Broadway show is a flop. And so they decide to take up a cause for good publicity and go save a lesbian girl's prom uh, in the middle of Indiana. Uh, it's almost two shows in one where you sort of have the insidery Broadway crowd show and then sort of the high school uh, in Indiana show. Uh, And they both somehow absolutely just work perfectly together when these two worlds collide. Uh, Christopher Sieber has an act two number uh, very much in the sense of we are, we are the world called the acceptance song, um, which is, written to be so awful that it's the most entertaining thing I think you will see on a stage this year. Uh, They throw every single trope at you and you just can't stop laughing. It's a wonderful, beautiful show. Yeah, it's a wonderful show. Please go see The Prom on Broadway. It's great. I'm going to see it on my trip to New York for Broadway Con in January. So I'm very, very looking forward to that. All right, that brings me to my favorite show of the year, a show that not a ton of people have even heard of, let alone saw, but I have a feeling that is going to be remedied. I communicated via Twitter with Jan Simpson from from here on Broadway Radio, as well as Theater Talk and, and SUNY and all that stuff, and, and she had FOMO of not being able to see that show, but I assured her that if I put my Miss Cleo hat on, I will be shocked if this show doesn't come back to New York at some point, uh, whether it's this coming calendar year in some form or another. But I could not be happier to have gotten a chance to see Rags Parkland sings the songs of the future over at Ars Nova uh, earlier this fall. I, I can't even tell you all of the emotions and excitement that this show gave me. Um, what really convinced me to go see this show was Alexis Solosky's review of it in the New York Times, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she basically described the show as a sci-fi musical with a score by Bob Dylan or Woody Guthrie, or a folk music musical with a book by Isaac Asimov. So if you can think about what that musical would be in your head, 
that's what Rags Parkland sings the songs of the futures. And I don't want to get into a ton of the plot because that would kind of spoil some things. But it is written book, music and lyrics by Andrew R. Butler, who also plays the title character Rags Parkland. Um, It is set in the future, but there is so much more in that title. It's probably one of the most perfectly constructed titles of any show that I've ever seen in my life. It also co-stars Stacey Sargent as Bo Weathers. And holy crap, can that woman sang? She is amazing. Um, and I'm just so, so glad that I got to see this in the tiny, tiny Ars Nova theater. Uh, it's one of those things that I have a feeling that I'm going to be very proud to say that I saw it when it goes on to be something even bigger than it already is. I also will never forget when I went to Ars Nova for the first time ever. They said, anything that doesn't have a reserve sign on it is open. You can sit in any of the seats or on any of the cushions that are available. I've never gone to a theater where they said, you can just sit on a cushion anywhere. So that was really fun for me. Uh, Again, I, I love kind of the small, intimate stuff. But Rags Parkland Sings the Songs of the Future was overwhelmingly brilliant and genius and moving and deceptively well-structured because you think it's this very simple presentation and then it turns out to be something very, very different. So for me, that was the most exciting thing that I saw and I, I really hope that more people get a chance to see it in the coming years and months because even if it doesn't have another life in New York, I am confident that it will end up Uh, being a show that a ton of really smart theater companies do in small, intimate venues across the country. So, Alan, we're doing this uh, at the end of 2018, but I felt like it would be a little disingenuous for us as people who work in theater uh, to only look backwards. I want to look forwards a little bit without really getting super in-depth. Just give me two or three shows that you are really excited about about seeing either on Broadway or off Broadway in 2019? Hmm. Well, uh, the first one I'll say is one that we know is definitely announced already. Uh, I'm excited to really see the, um, or I should say I'm excited to really see uh, the off Broadway transfer of the play that goes wrong, which is a show I absolutely loved on Broadway and I saw it twice. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how it adapts to new world stages and to go back and see it again. And I'm sure they'll have a very long life there. A show that I'm looking forward to seeing, I hope, in 2019, uh, if sort of the buzz around town is to be believed, uh, will be Jagged Little Pill, which I had the pleasure of seeing at the American Repertory Theater this past summer. Uh, Word on the street is that's coming in somewhere in the next year, uh, exactly when and where, still to be determined. Uh, But that's a show I'm really looking forward to seeing. For a while, there was a rumor of a Titanic revival coming this season, I don't know if that's still something that's happening or not. It's sort of been quiet for the moment, but I feel like there might be still some chance for them to sort of sneak in this season. And that's a show I absolutely love. Uh, It's really a beautiful score, very touching. And uh, I would love to see that back on Broadway. I think it's time for a revival. I can name a bunch of people I'd be really excited to see in that show. And so those are three I'm sort of looking forward to. I love it. 
Um, those are three that, sure, I'm uh, excited about as well, some more than others, uh, but they're three very different things, which I think is apropos of our specific personalities and tastes in theater. There's a reason we called ourselves when we had a very, very short-lived podcast, The Podest Couple, because we are very different in many, many ways, including our tastes. But I will say that the three things, if I'm just going to pick three, that I am super, super interested to see. One, uh, two of them are things that I already have tickets to, and um, one I, I don't yet, but we'll get to that one. The two that I have tickets to um, is first, the New New York, North American premiere of the one-person show called Fleabag. It is a one-person show written and starring Phoebe Waller-Bridge. It started out as a one-person show over in uh, the UK at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and then it became a, a BBC TV show. Then it came over to America on Amazon, and it is now getting a second season. Phoebe Waller-Bridge went on to also create the fantastic TV show Killing Eve. She was in the Han Solo standalone movie Solo. Fleabag is... Alan, earlier today, um, before we were on here, we talked about how I hate awkward things. Fleabag is the exception to that rule. Everything about Fleabag is awkward. The character of Fleabag, which Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays, she is just somebody who can't get out of her own way. She is a mess, and everything about her leads to more messes. But it was one of the most hilarious, brilliant, touching, emotional things that I've ever seen when I saw the, I think it was six-episode first season um it's still on amazon they're short it's 30 minutes and you know it's a, a super um short british thing where they have you know just tiny little seasons so you can watch it in just a few hours and it's so worth it but the her one person she's bringing the one person show version over to the u.s in the spring but it is absolutely fantastic and i can't wait to see it on stage the other one is a show that i've talked about on uh, today on broadway for a long time even be like when it first announced its cast for the national, I predicted that it would win uh, not only the Tony for Best Musical, that but two of its stars would win Tonys for performances, and that is Hades Town coming to the Walter Kerr Theater, and I should mention Fleabag's playing the Soho Playhouse. Um, so super excited uh, to see Hades Town when it transfers. Apparently, the stars that did the show in London, uh, Patrick Page, Amber Gray, uh, Reeve Carney, Eva Noblezada. And uh, Andre DeShields are coming with it. The ensemble will be replaced per equity rules. But very, very uh, excited to see that. And then if I have to be honest, this is going to be kind of trite and not super artistic of me. But I really, really cannot wait to see Moulin Rouge on Broadway uh, at the Al Hirschfeld Theater in the summer or whenever I get to see it. That's a movie that means a ton to me in my formative years in college. Um, I love that. I love Karen Olivo. I love Aaron Tveit. Um, so I'm super excited about Moulin Rouge. And I got to tell you, Alan, that little teaser, that 15-second teaser or whatever it was that they put out uh, earlier this month or maybe late November, that hit me in all the right places. And I don't want to elaborate because this is a family show, but I love, love Moulin Rouge. I'm really hoping that they get this right. Uh, that's also one I'm definitely excited to see. Uh, I hear that it's a, a visually very impressive production, and who doesn't love a good, lavish, expensive show? Yeah, especially when you've got a creative team like Alex Timbers and all of those great stars. Danny Burstein's in it as well. Um, really, really excited to see what they do with that. And Robin Herter, who you mentioned uh, with uh, A Chorus Line, is also in that show. So 
Uh, very excited for those three. Um, and I'm just looking forward to another really great 2019, another great year of theater on and off Broadway because, you know, for we often talk about how the theater's being overtaken by all these super commercial theme parky type things and the quality's going down. And I say anybody who thinks that needs to open their eyes and and take the stick out of whatever orifice that it is in because there is so much great theater happening not only on Broadway, but off-Broadway and around the country, that it's there if you want to see it. If you need to be spoon-fed what to see, that's your fault. There are so many things that you can seek out, uh, no matter where they are, that deserve to be seen and deserve to be amplified. And I hope that we can do that for some people here on Broadway Radio. And if you need um, some more information on what Alan likes, you can go to his uh, social media feeds. Alan, where can people find you on the social meds? Uh, I'm just at Alan Henry on the Twitter and on the Instagram, and you can follow me there uh, if you like fun humor and pictures of playbills. Yeah, I mean, fun humor is a, I mean, it's subjective. I don't know if I would agree, but whatever. We also banter quite a bit over there, uh, so so that's always fun. And you can find Matt on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. Yes, but they you know follow, that by now. Because you, you should follow both of us to see the banter. Yeah, you do have to follow both of us to get the banter. But, Alan, thank you for joining us on Broadway Radio for the very first time ever. I appreciate it. We've got to do this more often. Um, our ill-fated podcast didn't last, but if we can maybe bring you on here occasionally, I, I think that could suffice. I'll have your people talk to my people, and we'll see what we can do. Yeah.